I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I have so many controversial things to say because I believe the church is apostate. Paul said the day of the Lord will not come except they come a falling away first. I believe we're in the falling away stronger than ever. Falling away is one word in the Greek. Apo stasis. That is our word apostasy. It is a we know that apostasy is a is a falling away from truth. It's a construction of apo and stasis. Apo means a removal and stasis means to stand upright. And you have in the Greek morphemes. That's word shapes. And from stasis, one of the word shapes is staros. So there has been a removal of the daily cross. That's the word cross. There's been a removal of the daily cross in American society. And then we get the word starao, S-T-A-U-R-O-O, which is the word crucify. Crucify. And men don't believe in crucifying the flesh. All the preachers are talking about how you get together and grow up. Now, I'm going to read one of my tracts to you. I've got about 70 tracts or so over here in this, in these little cubby holes over there. And they're free for you to give out to your family or people. And I'm, I've got a track on the Saturnalia or the festival of Christmas. The Saturnalia was what Christmas was called in the ancient world. Constantine brought Christmas into the church in 325 A.D. when he started the Roman Catholic Church. He brought the Christ Mass in. The Mass is eating human flesh. That's what it is in the Roman Catholic. It's pretending to eat human flesh because they're not eating human flesh. It was against God's law to eat human flesh. And it was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America. Whether people like it or not, that's a historical fact. Now what I did on my tracks, I had a, I got a verse up here, two or three verses, and I'll take a word out of those verses and put it in the Greek right under the verse and tell you what it means. Then I'll give you the body of the track. Now, the Saturnalia or the festival of Christ Mass. Leviticus 18, 21, 24 and 30. Thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Moloch, one of the sun gods of the ancient world. Defile not yourselves in any of these things. Therefore shall ye keep mine ordinance, ritual, that you commit not any one of these abominable customs. Now notice God didn't say don't serve their gods in this verse. He said don't keep their customs. And that you defile yourself not therein. You defile because it's an abomination. Abomination means to stink. 
And Deuteronomy 12, 30 and 32, speaking of the heathen sun and moon worship, take heed, inquire not of their gods what things soever I command you observe to do, thou shalt not add thereto nor diminish from it. And don't ask how they did their, how they served their gods. Jeremiah 10, 2 and 3, learn not the way, the course of life, the mode of action of the heathen, for the customs of the people are vain. The customs are vain, not just worshiping their gods. What they do to worship their god, like setting up a tree and giving each other gifts. For one cutteth the tree out of the forest, they deck it with silver and gold. Note, the grove was the only tree goddess or the moon goddess in Israel and was introduced as such by Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, which means with Baal. She was uh, the daughter of Ethbel, and she came from Sidon, or Tyre, which was right above Israel when Ahab married her. A priest of Ashtart, the tree god, Allah of Babylon, First Kings sixteen thirty one and 33. It is the same system that was ejected by the Persian kings and found its seat in Pergamos, which was in the western part of, of Turkey, and they called it Asia Minor. The Chaldean Babylonian worship became part and parcel of the Roman people when Italus III, the last king of Pergamos, left by will all his dominions to the Roman people. Thus it merged into Romanist system. The grove in Israel is the very Christmas tree of the Saturnalia, the moon and sun worship. As placed in the Roman church by Constantine, Babylon mothered all idolatry. Colossians 2.8 Beware lest any man spoil you. Sulagogeo means to carry away into captivity through philosophy, philos, sophos. Philos means an affection for man's wisdom and vain deceit, empty delusion after the tradition, paradosis of men and after the rudiments. The rudiment is the word stoichion. That's what they called all their rituals in the ancient world and not after Christ. Then I will give you the body. The Christmas festival was not celebrated in the church till the 4th century A.D., 2,000 years before Jesus was born. The pagans celebrated a festival called the Saturnalia, or the Feast of Saturn. He was the father of the gods in Rome. In honor of the birth of the sun, Saturn, Adonis, Hercules of the Babylonian Queen of Heaven, Venus, and others. This yearly revelry drunken New Year feast was a birthday to honor the unconquerable sun, Saturn, or his son, Mithra. Saturn was the fertility god among the pagans. The pagans assisted their fertility sun god in his promised to bring new crops in the spring by helping to warm the earth, putting a yule firewheel, child of the sun, log on the fire, and building large bonfires or bale fires. 
believing the evergreen to be magical, and the pagans hung wreaths and hollies and holly and greenery in their pagan temples and homes. Hence, decked the halls with boughs of holly. They they erected they erected evergreens at the rebirth of the sun and the depth of winter during the feast of saturn from december the 24th through december the 17th through the 24th alexander hislop speaks in two babylons published in 1916 in not wasn't 1916 it was in 1859 i believe i don't know why i, I think the people that printed it made a mistake there some the same festival was adopted by the church, given only the name of Christ. This is Alexander Hislop's words out of the two Babylons. That Christmas originally pagan is beyond all doubt. To conciliate the pagans to nominal, nominal Christianity, to just a little bit of Christianity, Rome took measures to get the Christian and pagan festivals amalgamated. That means to blend them together. Rome took measures to get them amalgamated. The pontiffs, the pontiff, the high priest, the pope, first took first measures was to encircle the heads of the images of Christ with the rays of the sun god. This halo was in ancient times behind the heads of Osculapius, the serpent, and the child of the sun. The golden beams around the heads of pictures and images called by the name of Christ were intended to show pagans that they might safely worship them as the images of their own, as their well-known divinities, though called by another name. Pope Julius I gave Christ's Mass, the Mass of Christ, its pagan name. That was around 1836. It did not appear on a calendar as a holiday until 354 A.D. It was not celebrated by the early church. In pagan antiquity, December the 25th was known far and wide as the very birthday of Adonis or Mithra, the Herculean sun god of Babylon. Fleeing papal persecution during the Reformation, the Puritans banned the celebration of Christmas in England in 1642. The Protestants in early America considered Christmas to be heresy and passed laws against it, exacting criminal penalties for its celebration. Christmas was not a legal holiday in America till eight. 1856. It is the custom of the heathen for which God pronounced judgment from the mouths of the prophets, the 70 weeks of Daniel, Daniel 9, 24 through 27, the Valley of Dry Bones, Ezekiel 37, Halloween, the fire worship of the Druids, a later version of this godless system finds its roots in the heart of this Christmas Saturnalia festival. Oh, how we have erred from the principles of the Word of God. God have mercy on us. And I believe that with all my heart. It is an old... You can rename something, and that doesn't make it okay. I mean, you know, that's what those gangsters did in the 
in the 30s, John Dillinger, public enemy number one. Nobody was more sought after by the FBI than him. And he went and had his face changed, had some plastic surgery. That didn't keep him from being the killing murderer that he was. You can change your face and rename something, and that won't help you. You're still the old slug center you are. Now, I am talking. Let me read something to you. And this shows you how plain we need to talk. The title is Save What They Need to Hear Even If It Kills You. Let me put even if they kill you, say what they need. John the Baptist's message from the wilderness was not. Smile, God loves you. It was, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. He called the Pharisees vipers, snakes, deadly killers. Jeremiah was not put into a miry pit for preaching. I'm okay, you're okay. (laughs) And there's a book, I'm okay, you're okay. I've got that somewhere in my library. It was for crying against adultery, idolatry, and other wickedness of the nation of Israel. Noah's message from the steps of the ark was not something good is go- <laughs> something good is going to happen to you. <laughs> the flood waters are going to come. <laughs> he came to condemn the world and was a preacher of righteousness. Jesus Christ was not crucified for saying, "Consider the lilies of the field how they grow," but for saying, "Warn you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, children of hell." And that's what the preachers are today. Fools and blind guides, whited sepulchers, generation of vipers. If you want a copy of that, we'll make you a copy. That is the truth. I'm saying things that people don't like. My subject has been, this is the fourth message on this subject. Let me erase this. God... Creates evil. Part four. This is the fourth message on this. God creates evil. That is something that people hate. C R E A T E. God creates evil, okay. <laughs> I don't catch it sometimes. I just get part of the word, and that's okay. When I'm writing on the board, I can't write and talk at the same time. Like you can't chew gum and, and walk at the same time. <laughs> I can't write at the same time. I'll write, I'll start to write something, put, I'll start to put kinfolk and put kindred or kin something. I'll just, go off in space and put something up there. Does God create evil? Well, let me take you over to Second Samuel, the 12th chapter. The Bible says, God says, I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. The word evil is ra. That's the common word evil from one end of the Old Testament to the other. It does mean calamity. 
calamity, but it means worthless. It means bad. When God said that in Isaiah 45 and 7, he was talking about bringing Cyrus from Persia in to destroy and annihilate the Babylonian system. And I've already brought that out on the previous messages. I want to read something here how God said he's going to create and bring evil into David's life. David was a man after God's own heart. If you go over here to Second Samuel, the 12th chapter. Now, the 11th chapter, I'm going to continue where I was going last week. I got to where Jehu was being sent to kill Jezebel. You're going to have to listen to last week's message to get this whole picture. Jehu was sent to kill Jezebel. Ahab had already been killed by this time. Ahab was killed by God in that 22nd chapter of of 1st Kings. And God had a man draw a boat of venture. That was God's venture. It was calculus in the making. Calculus is plotting curves. Now the man is going, the man is going at some speed in a chariot. I'm sorry I'm not a good artist, but he's in this chariot. He's got a horse up here pulling his chariot and he's standing here and he is, this is Ahab and he's riding along here and there's a man over here, somewhere over here and he fires a bow and it goes in a trajectory and it hits Ahab between the harness. Now Ahab had to be going a certain speed. We don't know what that speed was. 12.29634 miles per hour. This man had to draw a bow at a venture, Tomem. An upright bow. A righteous bow. A righteous, that means righteous. A righteous bow, and he had to be having, having to pull that that bow at its exact amount of pressure. I don't know how much a bow, how much pressure you pull on a bow. Let's just say uh, 25.96321 pounds of pressure. It had to be exact. And he fires this bow at a venture and it comes and strikes Ahab between the harness and God did it. Neither one of them knew this was going to happen. Except God caused that man to do that. Now, I'm going to come back to that because Ahab is dead as of 1 Kings 22. Now, Jehu is called to kill Jezebel. I'll get back to that in a minute. What I want to show you here, in the in 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, this is very significant. I'm just going to read you the part that God says and explain it up to that point. Now, David had committed adultery and murder. David had gone out on the top of the palace and looked down at a house next door. And he saw this beautiful woman. 
Her name was Bathsheba. And she was sunbathing out there, probably without any clothes on. Or she was bathing herself without any clothes on. And she was gorgeous. And he said, I want her. David had many wives. And he said, I want her. And he told one of his servants, you go get her for me. And he brought Bathsheba back. And David had a sexual tryst with her. And guess what? She got pregnant. She comes to David and says, I'm pregnant. Her husband was Uriah the Hittite. Uriah. Now I've had people say, I can't come to grace and truth because I'm such a sinner. You've never done what David did. Uriah was one of the most faithful soldiers that David had in his army. This all happened in First Kings, the 11th chapter, 11th chapter. Now some people say, I don't believe God creates evil. I've got a paper, does God create evil? It's got several hundred places where it says God creates evil in the Old Testament. Now, when she's pregnant, she goes home. David says, I've got to do something. Oh, man, what am I going to do? I know I'll call for her husband, and he'll come in. They're up here. They're fighting the Ammonites, and the Ammonites are located up in... The Ammonites is northern Jordan, which is right next door. This is Jordan right here. And the the land of Ammon was right in here, in this area. And they were fighting them. And Uriah was up there, and he was in the battle, and his commander was Joab. Now, Joab was David's nephew. Well, how do you know that it was David's nephew? Well, let me show you something. I'm always talking about David's nephews. And David's always saying, These sons of Zeruiah, they're driving me nuts. Zeruiah was David's sister. And she had several sons. Now go over here to First Chronicles, the second chapter. But don't turn away from the twelfth chapter there. First Chronicles, the second chapter. And this is going to tell us the lineage of David. Look at verse 13. You can start up here earlier in the chapter and go all the way back to the sons of Judah. Judah, Judah was the fourth born son of, of Jacob. And down here, and it goes all the way down to Boaz. And Boaz had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse. We talked about Jesse in the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel where that God said, I'm fed up with, with Saul being king. He won't obey me. And he told, Sa- he told Samuel, who was the prophet at that time, go down to Bethlehem, Judah, in southern Israel. I've chosen me a king among the sons of Jesse. And Jesse marches out. He marches out seven of his sons. And God said, it's none of these. And David said, 
and uh, Jesse's, excuse me, Samuel said, is there, do, is there any more sons? And he said, there remaineth that the youngest, and he keeps the sheep. And Jesse said, and Samuel said, I'll not leave until you bring him here. So they brought Jesse in, and God said, that's him. I brought, brought David in, he said, that's him. And they anointed David to be the king of Israel. Now, God picked out David, but Saul is the king. And Saul thinks that David picked out himself. So he's going to start trying to kill David in the 19th chapter of 1 Samuel. From chapter 19 all the way to 31, Saul is chasing David all over Israel to kill him because he thinks, you're trying to take my throne away from me, and God took it away from him. So right here in this chapter, verse 13, And Jesse begat his firstborn Eliab. That's the one that that Jesse marched out there in front of Samuel. And, and God said, it's not him. And he was the tallest man in Jesse's, among Jesse's son. He was a great man in, in Saul's army. God said, that's not him. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. That was in the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel. And Abinadab the second, God said, that's not him. And Shema the third. And Nathanael the fourth. And Radaf the fifth. And Ozim the sixth. And David was the seventh. I'm not going to go into that right now. He was left out of the... He was called the seventh here, but he was called the eighth son of Jesse in 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter. When when Jesse marched seven of his sons before him, and he says, none of these seven. And then, Je- and then Jesse says, there remaineth yet the youngest. That makes David the eighth, but it calls him the seventh here. They had a book of life that a man's name would be blotted out of if he did something wrong. Evidently, one of Jesse's sons was not, was not a part of the book of life. They had a book of life that kept in their little uh, city uh, halls, if they want to call it that, and they left it out. And his sister, whose sisters were Zeruiah and Abigail. <clears throat> Zeruiah and Abigail were David's sisters. And the sons of Zeruiah, Abishai, that was David's constant companion. He everywhere David went, Abishai went with him. And Joab, Joab and Abishai were killers. You messed with them, you'd die. Joab ended up being the head of David's army because David had promised anybody who can... Well, let's go here in the 11th chapter. The 11th chapter of First Chronicles. In the 11th chapter, here's how Joab becomes the head of David's army. In verse 4, And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jebus. That's what the name of Jerusalem was before they renamed it Jerusalem. Where the Jebusites, that's why it was called Jebus, where the Jebusites were, and the inhabitants of the land. And the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, Thou shalt not come hither. 
You can't come in here. We'll defend our city. Nevertheless, David took the castle of Zion, which is the city of David. And David said, Whosoever smiteth the Jebusites first, who gets in there first, shall be chief and captain of the nation of Israel. You'll be my commanding general. So Joab, David's nephew, the son of Zeruiah, went first up and was chief. He was the commanding general. And boy, David's David's hard times are just starting. And David dwelt in the castle wherein they called it the city of David. Now go back over here. So we see Joab is commander-in-chief. Now Joab is a killer. (laughs) He's not, when you see a show, a movie about David and Bathsheba, David did not look like Gregory Peck in that old movie, David and Bathsheba. Gregory Peck is tall and dignified looking, looks like a great movie star. David was ruddy-faced. That means red-faced. It says so in the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel. <clears throat> and since he was a red-faced, most of the writers think he had freckles and possibly red hair. He didn't look like Gregory Peck. He was the run of the litter, the smallest and among the sons. And so we see that David and David is having... He's having problems with Joab and Abishai. Everywhere, Joab killed four different righteous men. And he didn't care what David said. Back in the days of the Roman Empire, those soldiers would follow the commanding general anywhere, regardless of what the king said. Those soldiers loved Joab. He was not only a commander, he would lead them in a fight, go out there with his sword and his shield, and just rip and tear up the world. He was a man that would kill at the drop of a hat. In fact, the first one that we find he killed was Uriah, the Hittite. The husband of Bathsheba. Wow. (laughs) He was commanding the armies up here fighting the Ammonites. Ammon was one of the sons of Lot's daughters. And Lot took the well-watered plains of Jordan instead of going down here into Israel and taking what looked like rough land. He took Jordan and he had his daughters took him into a cave, took Lot into a cave. This was after God destroyed Sodom with fire and rain, fire from heaven. And his wife turned and looked back at the city and she was... The Bible says she was turned into a pillar of salt. But pillar of salt was an idiom. It meant to die. And when when they left when they left Sodom, 
That's on the bottom of Israel in the land of Petra. That's where the Edomites were, the descendants of Esau. They were from down here. Just a point to give you, the men that were ruling Israel in the first century, the kings were called Herods. Now the king of Israel had to come out of the tribe of Judah, the fourth son of Jacob, fourth son. But the Herods were Edomites. They had no business being on the throne, ruling Israel. How did they get there? They would go over to Rome and court the Romans in person and get appointed being king. Of course, Rome was ruling all the world. And they said you could rule yourself as long as you behave. If you didn't behave yourself, they would send their legions in to crush you. They were... Rome was a, was truly the beast with iron teeth. That's what the Bible called him. Now, Uriah was married to Bathsheba. There's something else that's really interesting about Bathsheba. David had to know who she was. Had to. Because, look over here in Second Samuel. The... 24th chapter I'll get back I'll get back to the 12th chapter of 2nd Samuel 20 well actually the 23rd chapter the 23rd chapter David is naming all of his mighty men I've told you this before and he's going all down through here he talks about Abishai Abishai kills there in Verse 18, David is bragging on all the mighty men of Israel. In verse 18, Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, David's sister, was chief among the three that he had just mentioned, and he lifted up his spear against 300. Abishai killed 300 men in a battle. The guy was some tough guy. He didn't mess with him. Everywhere David went, Abishai said, Uncle David, I'll kill this dead dog. When somebody threatened David, David said, Shut up, Abishai. And David would pull his hair out saying, These sons of Zeruiah are too hard for me. They're my nephews and I can't do nothing about them. They were a pill. They were a headache, and especially Joab. Everywhere David went, Abishai was riding right beside him, right there with him. They trapped Saul one time in a in a trench, and Abishai said, "Uncle David, I'll kill that dog." David said, "He is the Lord of the Lord. Shut your mouth, Abishai. You give me a headache." If God wants him dead, God will kill him. You kill him and you're in trouble with God. One man tried to brag about killing Saul in the first chapter of First Kings. And David said, you had, you even thought you could, even in battle, you could kill the Lord's anointed. And God commanded some men to fall upon this young man and kill him. 
David said, I won't have nothing to do with the death of Saul. He's the anointed of the Lord. Even the Lord of the Lord is anointed me. If God wants him dead, God will make sure he's dead. And then he goes on to say, talking about verse 24, Asahel, the brother of Joab, was one of 30. Asahel was the other brother, Asahel. Asahel, however you want to pronounce it. He was the third brother of Joab and Abishai. Abishai was David's companion, always wanted to kill somebody. He was, he had tempered snap at us all of a sudden. And Joab was killing people. David needed somebody to kill your kill Uriah the Hittite. So David gets the word, sends he sends for Uriah to come back to the castle in Jerusalem. Uriah comes back in that eleventh chapter of first King of in the eleventh chapter there of Second Samuel. He comes back to the palace and David tells Uriah, Uriah uh How's the battle going up there with uh, my brother? Now, David is trying to play the innocent. Uh, how's it going, Uriah? He's gotten his wife pregnant. And David is hoping that when the baby's born, they won't notice that it's got red hair and freckles like him. That it don't look like David. So he says, Uriah, why don't you go home tonight? And enjoy the presence of your wife. Maybe they'll think that he got her pregnant. And David waits, gets up the next morning in the castle, comes out to the front door, and guess who's asleep on his steps? Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba. He said, didn't you go home last night? He said, how can I go home when my Lord is at battle with the Ammonites? How can I enjoy the presence of my wife? David's going, oh gosh, what do I do now? We're talking about the blessed David who's the friend of God. David says, I will give Uriah a note to go up to battle where my nephew Joab is a commander. I'll send a note. And in the note, and Uriah was an honorable man. He didn't look at the note. It was against the law to break a seal on the king's notes. So David surely sealed it. They had a wax. They had a ring that had the seal of the king and then dip it in wax, pull the two pages together and stamp it where it would seal it. And anybody who broke the seal was rejecting the king's orders. And you could die for that. So Uriah, Uriah takes the note up and it says in the note, Put Uriah in the heat of battle and withdraw from him so he'll be killed and die. Joab doesn't have any qualms about that. He's going to kill several people. Some of them are completely innocent. Uriah was innocent. He puts him in the heat of battle and he's killed. We're going to talk about him more as we go along. It's amazing. Then Joab is being the murderer that he is. David has so many problems with him. He says, "My, you sons of Jerry, you're driving me nuts. 
my sister's sons. I can't kill you. I can't remove you. He tried to remove Joab from the the office after Joab had Joab killed Uriah. He killed Abner. Abner was a righteous, good man. He was a good man. What's amazing, when Solomon had kept his 300 wives, his 700 wives and 300 concubines, because he had done this and had kept all of these sun and tree goddesses, God says, I'm going to split the kingdom, but it won't be during Solomon's day. It'll be during his son Rehoboam's day. And God splits the kingdom into two nations. Well, when he splits the two kingdoms, you've got northern Israel, or Israel, it's just called Israel after God splits it, and Judah, which is comprised of the, of the, of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. The ten tribes are in the north. Now, he kills Abner in Second Samuel. Let me set this up for you. When he splits the two kingdoms, he splits the two kingdoms, and Saul is Saul is you've got Saul is the during the time when they're one kingdom, Saul had been the king. David had been the king of all of the kingdoms, and Solomon had been the king. Then you've got southern Judah and northern Israel. These are descendants of David, which is the tribe of Judah. These are legitimate kings, all except Athaliah. She's the daughter of of Ahab and Jezebel. She comes down here and after... After Jehoshaphat's dead and Jehoram is her husband, after he dies, then Ahaziah, his son, dies, and Athaliah says, I want the kingdom. So she kills all of the seed royal in northern Israel, but she misses one, and that's Joash, and he's of the tribe of Judah. And then she has to die for that, and it's Jehu that's going to kill her. So, here's what I'm getting at. The two kingdoms. One, the northern kingdom after Saul is dead. Saul is dead. When Saul was alive, he had a commanding general. A commanding general. Commanding general. And that general was Abner. And he was a good man and Saul was evil. So after Saul is dead, when you get over into Second Samuel, Abner is ruling northern Israel, kind of inherited Saul's position, but he's a good man. And the man then the people in southern Judah are going to be these men of Judah. This is how going to be ruling in Judah, right here. And so, you've got Abner is northern Israel, and David is ruling in southern Judah. 
And David's commanding general is Joab. So Abner, Joab is real jealous of Abner. He thinks when Abner comes to David, he's going to come to David and turn over all of the ten northern tribes to David. Ten northern tribes. When he comes down to David, Joab says, he's come down here. And Abner had all these honorable reasons to come. He's going to come and say, David, you're the truly God's king in Israel. We'll give the kingdom to you. And look over here in Second Samuel. In Second Samuel, the, the, the third chapter, Second Samuel. This is where Abner comes down. And this is one of the second people that David, that, uh, excuse me, this is the second person, or maybe it's the first person, Second Samuel. The third chapter. This is where joy, this is where Abner comes to David in southern Judah and says, I'm going to turn all the kingdom over to you. He's an honorable man. Joab gets real jealous of him, thinks he's going to try to sneak in and take my place. In verse 21 of the third chapter of Second Samuel, And Abner said unto David, I will arise and go, and will gather all the nations unto my lord the king David that they may make a league with thee, and that thou mayest reign over all that thine heart desireth. And David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. So Abner's on a good journey. He's going to try to just amalgamate the two nations. And behold, the servants of David and Joab came from pursuing a troop. They were out on a day's journey looking for some battle. And brought in a great spoil with him. But Abner was not with David in Hebron. For he had sent him away. And he was gone in peace. And when Joab and all the host that was with him were come. They told Joab saying. Abner the son of Ner came to the king. While you were gone. And he hath sent him away, and he's gone in peace. Then Joab came to King David and said, What hast thou done? Behold, Abner came unto thee. Why is it that thou hast sent him away, and he is quite gone? What were y'all up to that time? He didn't say y'all, because he wasn't from the south. In verse 27, when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak. Joab's come back to Hebron or Hebron, however you want to pronounce it. That's the most southern city in Israel, in the ancient world. And Joab comes up to him, puts his arm around Abner, and rums him in the ribs with a knife under the fifth rib and kills Abner, a good man. And smote him there under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Asahil his brother. What is that about? Earlier in the book, 
they're having war games back in that second chapter. They're having some war games. And when they're having war games, I'll just tell you the story. Ahab's, this is before Ahab, not Ahab, this is before Abner went to David. Abner goes to David in that third chapter, but Abner is head of the armies of northern Israel in the second chapter. And they get together to have war games. War games is not where they kill. It's where they act like they're killing. But things got out of hand, and some of the guys started stabbing the others with spears and with swords. And Asahel, the brother, you saw him in the second chapter of First Chronicles. Asahel takes off running after Abner. Now let me tell you, Abner's not a man you want to catch. He's the head of the armies of northern Israel. Asahel was one of the fastest runners in Israel. And he was the brother of Joab. And Asahel is chasing Abner. And Abner turns and yells at him, Sonny, don't you catch me. If you catch me, I'll kill you. And Asahel catches him. Abner rams the sword into him while he's running away. And Joab hears about it. Joab says, I'll get you for killing my brother. What is this all about? It's about judgment that God brings upon David's household. That's what it's about. David needs to be proven now. So when you get to that third chapter... The Bible says it was because Joab, excuse me, I'll get the right name right in a minute. It's because Abner killed Asahel, Joab's brother. But Joab was also jealous that Abner was going to come down and try to take his place, try to be the captain of all of Israel. Joab didn't want, excuse me, Abner didn't want that. I get these guys mixed up. Now, when you get over here into Second Samuel, and you go to, I've got to give you these people that Joab killed. He killed Uriah the Hittite. He killed Absalom. These are the guys that Joab killed. Now he killed. He killed Abner. Let me make it clear. Joab killed Uriah the Hittite. Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba. Notice Bath means house of Sheba. Yeah, David David committed murder. Uriah the Hittite was killed on the orders of David. It wasn't on the orders of Joab. Joab ordered it in battle. It's just like when Al Capone would order one of his soldiers to go out and kill somebody. The order came from Al. The order came from David. Kill Uriah. I've got his wife pregnant. 
Boy, when I first read the Old Testament, it reads like, as the world turns, are the young and restless. Except it's got a lot of killing in it. It's like, that's why I used to title, when I taught him this before, I'd say the young and restless in Israel are as the world turns in Israel. Now, Joab had killed Uriah. He killed Abner, a good man. And then he kills Absalom. That is David's beloved son. He loves Absalom so much. Absalom so much. And Absalom turns on David. Absalom defects to the other side and starts war with his father, David. Why? Because Nathan the prophet said it was going to happen. Because of what David did by committing adultery and murder with Bathsheba and having her husband killed. God says, I will bring evil, I will form evil against David for this. You don't believe God creates evil? Let me read that to you over here. In Second Samuel, Second Samuel, the this is an interesting story. You don't think God creates evil? Look in Second Samuel, all because of what happened in chapter eleven, where David sees Bathsheba. How do you know? I didn't finish up with you in Second Samuel twenty three. I'll finish that, and then I'll go to Second Samuel 12. Look at 23. This is how we know that Bathsheba, her grandfather, was a Hithophel. David's chief counselor. The Bible says so several times. And when you go back to the 23rd chapter and David's numbering all the mighty men of Israel, then he says in verse 34, the son of Ahashbi, the son of Maacathite, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the the Gilonite. This was the son of Ahithophel, Eliam, and then when you go back to 11 and 3, 11 and 3. I'm getting a minute. 11 and 3. This will show you. And David sent and inquired after the woman, talking about Bathsheba, and said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam? Eliam was the son of Ahithophel. So he had to be. And she was the daughter of Eliam. And Ahithophel was her grandfather. And Ahithophel was David's chief counselor. So 
when Bathsheba would come over to the castle and say, is my grandfather here talking about Hithophel? David had to have known who she was. He had to have known. She was the granddaughter of his chief counselor. And Ahithophel turns on him now. The episode with Uriah and Bathsheba happens in the 11th chapter. Then when you get in the 12th chapter, the prophet Nathan comes up to David and says, You've committed sin. And because of your sin, God's going to bring evil upon your house. And he tells David the story in the 12th chapter. There's a man down the road here. He has one little ewe lamb. There's a man up here that he has a whole flock of sheep. And this man comes to visit this man up here and he goes down here. This man has the great flock. He goes down here and takes this one man's one little ewe lamb and he takes it and slaughters it for this visitor that comes in the house. And David gets enraged says, tell me who it is and I'll go get him and kill him. And Nathan stood in front of him and said, thou art the man, David. David broke David's heart and he began to weep and cry and said, I only have sinned, haven't I? And Nathan said, yes, you're the sinner here. Now, if you think you're too too much of a sinner to come to grace and truth, you never committed the sin of David. Take your best friend's wife and get her pregnant and have him killed. Has anybody done that here? You think you got the greatest sin in the world? Nothing like David had. And it broke his heart. And then the Bible says, let's look at about the 8th verse of the 12th chapter. Or let me go to the 7th verse. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man, David. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, David. And I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. He was trying to kill you from the 19th chapter all the way to the 31st chapter. Everywhere you went, he was trying to kill you. And I even delivered you out of his hand. And the most army you would have would be 400 to 600. And Saul had thousands of you. He was chasing you with, thinking you set yourself up as king. And that was God that did that. And... Verse 8, I gave thee thy master's house. I gave you Saul's house. The king's castle came to you, David. And all the land in Israel belongs to you. And you got the armies. And thy master's wives unto thy bosom. And gave thee the house of Israel. And, and of Judah. And if that, if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. I'd have given you everything, God said. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Killing Uriah and getting his wife pregnant. 
Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You did it, David. It was your orders, just like it was a godfather of Israel. And hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. It was David's order. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thy house. You need to highlight that because David's problems are just starting. Because thou hast despised me, God said. You've despised my word. And hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife, Bathsheba, because you wanted her, you lusted after her. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you, David. Who's going to raise up the evil? God. You don't believe God creates evil? God says, I'll raise up evil when you're disobedient to me. Boy, David's problems have just started. I mean, it is unbelievable how bad things get. And I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor and he shall lie with thy wives. God's going to cause this sin to take place. He said so, didn't he? In the sight of this son. Now, David's troubles just start. He doesn't have a good time for the rest of his life. He's going to be paying. The next chapter, Ammon, that's David's oldest son, Ammon. Ammon looks at his sister, Tamar. That was a common word, a common name. We had a Tamar over there in Genesis, the 38th chapter. That was the one that was married to, to Judah's sons. This is Tamar, the sister of Ammon. This is David's children. And Ammon lusts after his sister. She has to be good looking. He lusts after her. He convinces her to come to his bedroom and he rapes her. Lordy mercy. You didn't know this is all in the Bible, did you? Absalom hears about it. And he is enraged. And he tra- tracks Amnon, his older brother, for two years till he catches him at a feast. And he falls upon Ammon and kills him. And he feels like I have to leave Israel because David, my father, will bring some kind of vengeance on me. The only problem is Absalom didn't know how much David loved Absalom. Absalom was his favorite son. He would have forgiven Absalom and made another mistake in his life. Well, some years later or a while later, Joab goes to Absalom, convinces him to come back to Israel, 
come back to Israel. When he comes back to Israel, Absalom starts standing at the gate of the city. And he starts greeting the people coming into the city. Absalom had long hair. He had long black hair. A good looking guy. And he started stealing the hearts of the people. Read that in Second Samuel, the 15th chapter. First of all, that baby that Bathsheba had, God says, I'm going to kill the baby. And David weeps and cries all night long. Goes, God's going to kill it. God said, yes, I'm going to kill it. The one that you got her pregnant with. And God cries and weeps, and then, then he, then the baby dies. Someone comes and says to him, he's, the baby's dead. David cleans himself up and says, I cannot bring him back, but I shall go to him. That's proof that babies don't go to hell. That baby was innocent. David said, I will go to him one day. And he's very contrite. But that's not going to wipe out your punishment for sin in your life. So, when Absalom comes back to Israel, look at verse 6 of chapter 15. And on this manner did Absalom to all, all Israel that came to the king for judgment, that he would stand out at the gate of the city and say, Hey, Maybe I can help you with my father's decisions. And Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He steals their hearts. And he gets impressed with himself, with his looks, and everybody likes him. And he says, I think it's time for me to be king. So Absalom, verse 10, Absalom sent, Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. He's taking over. He says, And with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem, they were called and they went in their simplicity and they knew not anything. So Absalom sent Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's chief counselor from his city and from Gilon while he was offered sacrifice. And the conspiracy was strong. Absalom says, I'm taking over Israel. I'm going to be the king. I don't care what my father David says. You are talking against the wrong man. You're talking against God. For the people increased continually with Absalom. So Absalom says, and Ahithophel tries to join up with Absalom. He defects from David. It's amazing. Absalom Absalom gets some really, Abner gets some real bad advice. There's an old man that tells David, 
David leaves town, and he's got three leaders with him. I don't know if any of you remember who they were from the last time I taught on these men. He had three leaders. He has Joab. They're great generals. They're great leaders. They know how to put men together and make them fight. He has Joab. He has Abishai. These are his nephews. Abishai. He has one other. Ittai. Ittai was a Gittite. And a Gittite was a Philistine. Where in the world, what in the world is a Philistine following David for? He loves David. He said, if you die, I'll die. I'll go wherever you go. Remember when David was running away from Saul, he ran to the land of the Philistines and he made friends with the king of the Philistines. And evidently this is one of the men he made friends with. It, I said, wherever you go, I go. If you die, I'll die. I'll stand behind you to the death. They were better than Abishai and Joab. He was he was a faithful man. And then if you look at Second Samuel seventeen verse five. Then said Abishai, Call Hushai. Hushai. Who is Hushai? Hushai is an old man. And he says to David, I want to go with you and your army as you leave Jerusalem. They're going to flee from Jerusalem. And Absalom is coming up from the south. Absalom is bringing his army against him. And they're going to flee. And David says, no, Hushai, you stay here and be a spy for us. And Absalom calls for Hushai, David's spy. And he says, what shall we do? Ahithophel, his counselor, had told David what to do. Ahithophel. And Ahithophel really had the best advice. But Hushai told Absalom, don't listen to Ahithophel. He's got the wrong idea. So Hushai lies to Absalom. And Absalom takes Hushai's advice. And Ahithophel has defected from David and become a follower of Absalom. And Absalom, Absalom believes him. And Ahithophel gets real depressed. And he goes home. Look at verse 23. Here's what Ahithophel does. 17.23 And when Ahithophel, David's chief counselor, saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass. They put a, a saddle. It wasn't a western saddle. It was a blanket. 
and arose and got home to his house and to his city and put his house in order and hanged himself and died. Hithophel knew, I'm following a losing man and David evidently is going to win in this thing. And was buried in a sepulcher of his father's. Now, David is going to battle. He, his son Absalom is trying to take over the kingdom. And David tells these, he tells Abishai and Joab, when you run into Absalom, I love Absalom. Don't anybody touch him. He's my son. Joab takes as much attention to that as dropping a drop of water on the ground. Joab don't care what David said. And they take off and go north of Jerusalem. And they cross the Jordan River and go over here to call what's called a city of refuge. Do I have any time, Mike? 20. 20. I'll try to get through a lot of this. He goes to the city of refuge. It's called Mahanaim. M-A-H-A-N-A-I-M. That's a place where they're supposed to have refuge. But as far as, as far as Joah, as far as, as Absalom is concerned, he don't care about no city of refuge. He follows David up here and crosses the river Jordan, and when he crosses, he goes up here to the city of refuge. Now, these guys running David's army, they're nobody to mess with. They are fighters to the core. Well, Joab has this long stresses of hair. He weighs it every year. He pulls it. And his hair is his glory. And he's riding along on his donkey. And as he's riding along, he runs into some tall trees. And his hair catches in the trees. And a servant comes to Joab and says, I found Absalom. He's hanging in a tree. He's not, it doesn't hang him as far as his neck. He's just hanging by that hair. Cause all that hair that was his glory is going to be his end. And Joab said, didn't you kill him? He said, I couldn't do that. David gave us instructions not to touch him. So Joab goes to him, gives instructions. Run him through with a dart, a spear. And so they throw a spear and Joab has no qualms. That's the next man that he kills. He killed Uriah. He killed Abner. And here he's killing Absalom. He's got one more he's going to kill. He has. And when he comes back, there's a man in the 16th chapter. As David is fleeing and running, and he's going to cross the Jordan River, and he crosses the Jordan to go over there to the Mahanium, the city of refuge. He crosses the Jordan. There's a man running after David. His name is Shammai. You'll see him over here in the 16th chapter. And Shammai 
S-H-E-S-H-I-M-E-I. And Shemai is a man of Saul. He's, Saul is long dead. But he's, he was a follower of Saul whom David had gone to fight. Long story. David had gone to fight at Mount, Mount Gilboa at the end of 1 Samuel, the 31st chapter. 1 Samuel, 31st chapter. And one of the followers of Saul, Saul died in the 34th chapter. He had an evil heart. And Shammai was one of his followers. So Shammai sees David being chased by Absalom, and he starts throwing rocks at him. And we can read in that, and this is where you can see Abishai, the other son of Zeruiah, David's sister. And the way he acts up real fast. In verse 5 of chapter 16, When King David came to Bahurim, behold, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shemai, the son of Gerah. And he came forth and cursed David still as he came. He's cursing David. And he started throwing stones at David. David feels guilty enough for what he's done with Bathsheba. And he loved Saul, even though Saul kept accusing him. Saul kept trying to kill him. And at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shemai when he cursed, Come out, come out, David, you bloody man, thou man of Belial. Belial was a name for Satan. He was angry with David for taking over the kingdom, and he felt like he had taken it over by his own will. It had been the will of God. See, everything in the Bible is true, but everything that everybody says in the Bible is not true. Shemai wasn't saying any truth. And the Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood. This is Shemaiah's words. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead you've reigned. You took over the kingdom of him. He didn't do any such thing. That was, that was Samuel that went down the house of Jesse, and God said it'll be David. It wasn't David himself. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son, that's what Shammai thinks. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief. That's Shammai saying this to David. Because thou art a bloody man. Then said Abishai, he opens his mouth. Oh gosh. The son of Zeruiah under the king. Zeruiah says, Uncle David, you hear this jerk? Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and I'll take his head off, Uncle David. (laughs) And David says, and the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, my sister? Why don't you shut your mouth? God has bidden him to throw stones. Let him throw them. 
So let him curse, and because the Lord has said unto him, Curse David, who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai, his nephew, Shut up. <laughs> he might as well have said that. And all and to all his servants, behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone, let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him to curse me and throw stones. Because look at what I've done. I've committed murder of Uriah the Hittite. I've took his wife. I've done some. David was truly repentant. He was sorry. that You have to be sorry to be forgiven of your sins. You have to drop your head and say, oh, what a fool I've been. Have you ever done that? I've done that. I've thought about the things of my past. Oh, God, why did I do that? It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went by the way, Shammai went along the hillsides against him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and cast dust at him. He was, Shammai was mad and he didn't have anything to be angry at other than the fact that God says, I'm going to bring these things on your house, David. I'm going to bring evil upon you. And people say, God doesn't create evil. God says, I'll create it and bring it on the David's household because of the sin you've committed. And the king and all the people that were with him came, became weary and refreshed themselves. I'll read the next verse. Absalom and all the people and the men of Israel came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel was with him. Let me show you something about Ahithophel. Look at the 55th chapter of Psalms. Psalms 55. This is about Ahithophel, this psalm. David is so sad when Ahithophel turns on him. He was his chief counselor and one of his best friends. He's disappointed. Look at Psalms the 55th chapter. This is a psalm about Ahithophel. Ahithophel was treacherous. He turned on David. Here in the 55th chapter of Psalms, David's talking about all the people that are against him. Verse 9, Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go about upon the walls thereof, and mischief also and sorrow in the midst of thee. Wickedness is in the midst of their deceit, and guile depart not from his streets. For it was not an enemy that reproached me. David said it wasn't an enemy talking about Ahithophel. Then I could have borne it. That's one of the things that breaks my heart. I've had men leave here and just give me thunder and I never did anything to them. But I don't talk about them. I don't mention their names. I don't call them down from the pulpit. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him if I could hide from my friend. But it was thou, O man, mine equal, my guide. It was you, Hithophel. 
and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. Me and you, Ahithophel. And you turned on me. You went with Absalom. Then you ended up going home and killing yourself because you couldn't follow Absalom. He was unfaithful. He wouldn't take your advice. And you walked unto the house of God in company. Let death seize upon them when they turn away. And let them go down quick into hell. For wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God. That's what I do. I say, Lord, you fight my battles. I'm not going to fight these men that call themselves mine enemies. I've done nothing to them. People have the wildest imagination about what I did to them. I don't hurt anybody. And the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning at noon will I pray and cry aloud. And he shall hear my voice. He hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. He delivered me from Ahithophel. And for there were many with me. And God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old Selah. Rest in this. Because they have no changes, therefore they hear not God. He hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. I was at peace with men in this ministry. And they just, out of jealousy or envy or whatever it is, they turned on me, started lying about me. He hath broken his covenant. I love verse 21. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? But war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil. Yet they were drawn swords. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. Do I have any time, Mike? Now, I want to show you these things that these people did. So we see that Joab killed Uriah. He killed Abner. And Joab gets to be such a headache that he wants to get rid of Joab. But one thing for sure you do not get rid of the head general you don't get rid of him look in 2nd Samuel 20 and he he appoints another one of his nephews to be his commanding general his name is Amasa Amasa so he's killed Absalom, he's killed Abner, he's killed Uriah. This is David's nephew, who's his commander. In fact, when he came back from Mahanium, that city of that city of uh, refuge, he, Abner, excuse me, I'll get right. Joab walks into the presence of David. And David is weeping and crying, saying, Absalom, my son, my son. He's broken. And Absalom comes in and chews out David and said, What are you doing mourning over this boy? Talks to him like, he talks to David like he's a dog. 
Now, look here. In 2 Samuel 20, this is where he kills Amasa, 2 Samuel. David just comes up and deposes, that means to set him aside, sets aside Joab. And Joab says, you can't do that to me. 20 and 10. 20 and 10. Look at verse 4. Then said the king to Amasa, Assemble me the men of Judah within three days, and be thou here present. So Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah. David has appointed him as the new commander, but he doesn't do anything about Joab. Joab says, if you think you're going to do that to me, Uncle David, you're wrong. And David said to Abishai, Now shall Sheba, the son of Bichri, do us more harm than did Absalom. Take thou thy Lord's servants and pursue after him, lest he get fenced cities and escape. And there went out after him Joab's men and the Carathites and the Pelathites and all the mighty men. These were counselors, the Pelathites were. And they went out of Jerusalem and pursued after Sheba, the son of Bichri. When they were at the great stone, which is called Gibeon, Amasa went before them. Now, he's the new commanding general. And Joab is there. But you can't just set aside the commander that all the men will follow into battle. It's not the colonel that stands behind the men when they go to battle. It's the first sergeant that steps up and says, Follow me, men! And that's what Joab was to them. And Joab's garment that he had put on was girded on Amasa and upon it a girdle with a sword fastened upon his loins and in the sheath thereof. And he went forth and fell out. And Joab said to Amasa, Oh me, here's cousins, their first cousins. Joab says to Amasa, Art thou in health, my brother? Come here, let me hug you. Art thou in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard and with the right hand to kiss him. Betrayed with a kiss. And Amasa took no heed to the sword that was in Joab's hand. And he smote him therewith in the fifth rib and shed out his bowels to the ground. You don't mess with Joab. Like I've said, you always see these pictures in a movie of Joab. is standing over at the side saying, Yes, my liege. Yes, my David. What is it you'd have me to do? He didn't follow David's instruction. He didn't pay hardly any attention to him at all. He did what he wanted to do. He was the commander. And the soldiers followed him. So this was the fourth man that that Joab the murderer does away with. Movies never show the real Joab. They need to have me advising these movie makers. I'll tell you about Joab. The guy was a killer and he was treacherous. David didn't know what to do with him. He said, I don't know what to do with him. So when Solomon becomes king, 
in First Kings, David said, I got this guy Joab, and I got this guy Shemai. And he's cursed me, and Joab's done everything wrong. He's always killing somebody that I want to die. And that's another story. I'll get into that later. Does God, does God create evil? Oh, you bet your life. All of this, this whole story is evil against David for what he's done. God says, I created. You don't think God created evil. You know why you don't believe that? You ain't never read David's story. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. That's the history of Israel. From first Samuel. The Jews call that the books of the kings. That's what I've got on this. I've got a I've got some maps of all the kings of Israel. That is not even to start talking about Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Amaziah and Uzziah was a good guy until he went into the temple and tried to offer him, tried to offer sacrifice to the Lord. And he was of the tribe of Judah. You gotta be of the tribe of Levi to offer sacrifice. You have to be a son of Aaron. And Uzziah just went in the temple. And God struck him with leprosy. These kings were, they were something else. Am I out of time? I hate to stop, but I got a lot to say about the death of Joab and the death of Shammai. Because God gets them. We're trying to come up against his kings. Boy, this... The Old Testament's a real story. It's a real soap opera. You know why they call them soap operas? Because in the 40s, when I was a little boy and I'd be walking home from elementary school, I'd hear, brought to you by Oxidol, or brought to you by Does. Does does everything. That was the big soap back then. And all of those... Those in the organ would come in, and will Sally marry Bill, or will she run off with John? And that was a soap opera. That's why they called them that. Boy, it sounds like this is a soap opera. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, I hope you understand that God creates evil. He did in David's life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. We have been such sinners. We beg your forgiveness. We pray that you'll fight our battles. When we bow to your will, that's when you do it. We'll give you praise for everything. Strengthen the flock by listening to the messages. Make the sheep strong. Cause us to want to repent and turn to you. God will give you praise for everything. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that was an adventure today, wasn't it? I'll I'll call out one man's name and I'll meet another. Hope you all understand that. I'll get Abner and Ahithophel and Asiel and 
all the A's, I'll get them mixed up. 